morning. Great to be here with you today. Uh, thank you, worship team. Thank you, Davis. Thank you for everything just happened on the stage. Guys, it's great to be here with you today. We're in the middle of fall. We're in a series called Stranger Things. If you are a Netflix junkie and you've watched the show, then you know that there's a season two is getting ready to come out of Stranger Things. I'm kind of into science fiction. I'm kind of a nerd. Look, I own it. I'm not afraid. If we haven't had a chance to meet, I am Andy. I'm the lead pastor here. And this is High Point. This is a young startup church. We're part of a ministry called Every Nation. You might have heard just a little bit of reference to it. And if you don't have context, it's a global ministry. And we do a lot of church planning, a lot of campus ministry, and a lot of world missions. And the reason is simple. We love Jesus. We believe that Jesus is who he says he is. That he's the son of the living God. That he actually desires real, transformative relationship with you and me. And everybody else that's not sitting in this room, it's a good day. Here's what we're going to do. We're going we're gonna to jump in, pay no attention to the NyQuil that I have. I'm going to get to that here in just a minute. I'm not sick, I promise, nor am I getting ready to fall asleep. If you've ever had NyQuil uh, in the past year, that stuff really is potent. Uh, y- y- you don't drink it a whole lot, but if you haven't had any recently, it is amazing how that stuff will knock you out. Uh, Anyway, joking aside, let's do this. We're going to jump straight in. I want to talk to you today about this idea of living strange and loving strange. The series is Stranger Things. And without uh, re-hitting what we've talked about the past two weeks, understand this basic concept. That if you're sitting here today and you have put your faith in Jesus as Lord and Savior, the scriptures tell us that something happens on the inside of us. You're changed. Sometimes it's not all at once. Sometimes it's progressive. Sometimes there is just absolute transformation that happens with a snap of a finger. But understand this, that once Jesus becomes your boss, the scriptures tell us that you are no longer permitted, so to speak, allowed, invited, encouraged to live like everyone else. In other words, that the scriptures say that you become a citizen of God's kingdom. That means that you belong there now more than you actually belong here. And therefore, your actions and your speech and the way that you live, it begins to possibly look potentially strange to those who don't understand your commitment to follow Jesus. You might become a stranger thing. You guys with me this morning? So here's what we're going. We're going to continue this. The last two weeks were how to live strange. And today, it's how to love strange. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to get right into it. You guys ready this morning? You guys feeling good? Okay, come on. Give me this. Give me some spear fingers. You know, I want to make sure that you're alive and you're, you're with me today. Look, we're going to get after it. I'm going to preach what might feel like a potentially hard message today. But if you know me, 
I'm not opposed to preaching things that are difficult, that are difficult for us to wrestle with, or that have major implications on how we live our life. And Jesus is amazing. And that is the understatement of this century. And if he's so amazing, shouldn't our lives look a little bit different once he has changed us from the inside out? I sure think so. Father, would you be with us as we try to grow, as we try to become more like you? God, we are going to wrestle with some difficult things today. God, would you help us to do it? God, help our eyes and ears to be open. If we're sitting here this morning and and this is new to us, God, would you help us today? Amen. So we're going to start things off and just ask a basic question. What on earth is this thing that we call love? Because if Jesus has changed us and we're, we're going to live a little bit different and we're to love a little bit different and to lead a little bit different, you got to start at the very beginning and define what love is. And this is the problem. Because in our culture, love is any single thing you want it to be. It's like jello. Okay, what does jello do? It takes on the shape of whatever container you put it in. Whether you like it, whether you not, you can get it in any flavor. It can, it can, it can, you know, it morphs and turns into this thing. It doesn't matter what kind of Tupperware you put it in, it'll fill it and shape it up. You guys with me today? Love in our culture ultimately has no definition. It's anything you want it to be, except it cannot cause offense difficulty, or any measure of pain. If it causes any of those things, then it cannot possibly be love. You guys with me today? That is how culture has defined love. It's anything you want it to be. It's anything that makes somebody feel good. But if it causes awkwardness, discomfort, pain, then that is absolutely not love. In fact, well, we're not going to go into this. Much of culture, there's no gray area anymore at all. It's either you make me feel good and you love me, or you've made me feel bad and you therefore hate me, which neither extremes are right. But we're talking about love, and I'm not talking about romance here. We're not going to be talking about, you know, you're in the fourth grade and you folded up your little note and you pass it to the, you know, the third row and the little girl, their little boy in fourth grade and you ask them to be your boyfriend or your girlfriend or you have the little checkbox, check yes or no. That's not what we're talking about today. We're talking about what it literally just means for people to love each other. Brothers to love brothers. Sisters to love sisters. Vice versa. Across the chairs. We had casino night, yes, as a church for the fellas last night. It was, we played poker. Sorry if that offends you. It was a fun time. And guys were just enjoying each other's company. What does it mean to love each other? Because we don't have a very good working definition. Here's what I'm going to say to you today. If you are a note taker, now is the moment you have been waiting for. 
okay? Love is not simply delight in what a person does, but a deeply felt commitment to helping them become what they ought to become. I love that definition. I love this idea that I love you enough to help you become the person that I know God has called you to be. And because that's true, because I love you enough for you to become who God has called you to become, it means that I am willfully going to walk and enter into some conversations that just might be a little bit uncomfortable. They might be a little bit difficult. They might even be awkward. It might even be offensive. Heaven forbid. The greatest offense in 2017 is offense itself. Which is why we have weekly outrage. You, you, some of you guys, you're laughing, but it's true. So do this. Turn to John 3, 16. And we're going to start cruising because Jesus is speaking to a Pharisee. My lovely wife already mentioned this. We didn't compare notes on what she was going to say. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world. This is the most recognized Bible verse on the planet. Tim Tebow, you know, rocking his little 316 and his little, you know, black, whatever you call that stuff you put under your eye when you're playing football. I don't even know. I don't care. Eye black. Thank you. Thank you. I knew that. I just was, I was trying to invite participation. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. That verse is amazing. People know it backwards and forwards. They get it tattooed. They put it on the eye, their eye black. They write it on their shoes. They put it on the fingernail polish. I'm not joking. It's everywhere. What's interesting is how few people know what is said literally in the verse right after. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shouldn't perish but have eternal life. But God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. But that isn't the end of the conversation. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they've not believed in the name of God's one and only son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. Whew, that's a mouthful. Not only that, if you're like me and you're sitting in church today, maybe this is your first time, maybe you're a guest, maybe you brought somebody today and you're thinking to yourself, oh my God. God, this is so uncomfortable. We're talking about hell. We're talking about heaven. We're talking about eternity, right? 
These are uncomfortable conversations. They didn't used to be. But they have become incredibly uncomfortable conversations. And the reason is simple. is because we desire to do anything but create discomfort, pain, or offense. But I want you to know that sometimes the most loving thing you can do is have a conversation with somebody that just might hurt their feelings. But sometimes what's true is the most desperately needed thing for people to hear, including myself. You guys with me today? You track it. Eternity is reality. Truth is a reality. In other words, Jesus is saying, he is speaking to a Pharisee, Nicodemus. And he's speaking to him one-on-one. Talk about the height of offense. This isn't like a crowd where, you know, you could kind of absorb the impact with a few hundred people. Oh, he wasn't really talking to me. No, it's just Jesus and Nicodemus. And he's looking at him and he's saying, you know what, some people are going to be condemned. You need to know the truth, bro. You need to know the one that's standing right in front of you because God sent his son to save the world. Wink, wink. You're looking at him. That's a hard thing to hear, but I want you to hear me with desperation in my voice this morning. Not out of anger, not out of, you know, that, that crotchety, angry Christian that sometimes gets portrayed on TV. Out of desperation for people to know Jesus Christ as their risen Lord and Savior. We just might need to be perceived as weird and a little strange for having conversations that just might leave people a little bit bothered and a little bit in unrest at the condition of their soul. I brought some NyQuil with me. I heard this example just this past week, and it has stuck with me, and I have not been able to shake it. You know, many of us have, you know, even in this room, we've had serious health complications at times in our lives. You know, the person that, that I was listening to that was speaking, she'd had cancer. Christine Kane, by the way, if any of you follow or listen to her podcast, she's a brilliant communicator. And she was talking about going to the doctor and she had some cancer. And obviously she was upset by that and, and she sat down and the doctor gave her this prognosis and she walked away with the understanding of what she needed to do about it. But she began to share this example of, of our culture. Imagine this doctor who has some news, followed by some good news of, of, of what we can do about it, but the bad news is going to hurt this person's feelings. It's going to disappoint them. They're going to be afraid. They're going to be bothered. They're going to be upset. This might even sever our relationship. They may go to a different doctor. And so rather than telling them what needs to be told and what needs to be shared, obviously with grace and obviously with love, I, here's what I'm going to do. I'm just going to give them a prescription of NyQuil. 
Because they'll be able to take that and they'll be able to feel fine and I'll be able to feel fine and the relationship will stay intact. The problem with taking NyQuil when you're trying to rid yourself of cancer is that will not help you in any way, shape, or form except just fall asleep maybe a couple times a night. And what you would do is you would turn on the heels of discovering your imminent problem and you would sue that doctor for medical malpractice. And yet how many of us are committing spiritual malpractice day in and day out, every week, every month, every year, where we just ignore the realities of what people really are dealing with, and instead we're giving them some spiritual NyQuil for the sake of preserving the friendship, but the conversation that really needs to be had isn't had. The prayers that need to be prayed aren't really getting prayed. Do you know Jesus as Lord and Savior because it's Him who was sent into the world to save the world, you and me, from our sin? Do you know Him? Because that's the question that has to be answered. If you truly desire the best for someone, you will eventually find yourself in some difficult conversations. I'm not saying it's easy, church. If you're sitting here this morning and you're not a Christian yet, you're listening to this, and I'm, I'm, I'm beginning the conversation now. I believe that Jesus is the Savior of the world, and He is who He says He is. And he rose victorious on the third day after dying for the sin of the world, your sin and my sin, and reigns victorious because he was perfect. And we can have new life, not because of what we have done, but because of what he has done. You, by faith, can hitch your wagon to that guy. You get into the party because you know him, not because you've done all these things to get yourself there. Now the question is, how do you actually have this conversation? And if I run out of time, we're going to run into, not next week, but the week after. I'm going to do my best. Because more often than not, we can listen to a message like this, and then you're going to go eat at Chipotle or Willie's or some burrito place or McDonald's, and you're thinking to yourself, well, what do I do? What do I say? Hey, thanks for the queso. By the way, are you aware that Jesus Christ was real 2,000 years ago and that he died victorious over Sid and rose again on the third day? Are you aware of this? I'll take a little bit more uh, queso, please. Like, we don't know what to do, do we? We struggle with the practicals of this. We can sit here and say, yeah, that's true, but what do we actually do about it? And I know this can be tough. And that's why Jesus... I, I, Jesus is the most amazing leader to have ever walked this planet. Yes, he's Lord and yes, he's Savior. But gosh, he was an amazing leader of men and women. And he shares this story in Luke chapter 10. It says, Jesus, he's, he's, he's talking to a crowd. He says, Jesus 
Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, they beat him, and they went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him pass by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. He put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I'll reimburse you for any extra expenses you may have incurred. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Jesus is telling this story. I probably should have included it, but there's a man asking, what does it mean to love my neighbor? And rather than giving this nice, beautiful little Webster's Dictionary, Jesus tells him a story. Brings it to life for him. Which do you think is being the neighbor? And so as we're looking at this, there are three things that stand out to me that I believe will help us, church, become the kind of people God has destined us to become, to love people the way he would desire us to love people. I'm going to share a story of my own. I'm sweating up here, you're wondering. Good grief. Sorry. If you're listening online, my forehead is glistening because it gets hot on this stage. Many moons ago in Florida, in Orlando, Florida, Amy and I, were, we were starting our very first life group. And you know what? Things weren't always going super well. I couldn't always get people to come to it. We didn't know what we were doing. <laughs> and finally, some people started coming. And there was a young couple, a couple years younger than us, who would sit in our living room and they would, you know, eat buffalo chicken dip and salsa and chips. And, you know, we, we had our little life group lesson. And I, you could see the discomfort on the face of this couple, specifically the wife. And as they got a little bit more comfortable, they'd stay later and later every single time. You know, to the point of, you know, where Amy and I are like, good grief. Like, it's getting late. I'm ready for bed. And it didn't take long for things to start coming out. And when I say that my level of discomfort hit about an all-time high, I was a rookie. I didn't know what I was doing. But when you start, when, when a other couple in your home starts just screaming at each other and dropping F-bombs in your living room and just, I hate you, and this is all happening, you know, at the end of a, a life group. <laughs> you know, everybody has left, and we're trying to, you know, it's like, God, I, I realize, like, I'm a professional, but what do I do? And I want you to know, when I read this story of Zacchaeus, not Zacchaeus, of, of the Good Samaritan, excuse me, <laughs> this, 
this transition that happened where he's on one side of the road and he goes to the other in order to meet the needs of this person that's broken. He loves with compassion. And sometimes it's the thing that we are lacking so tremendously. Isn't it interesting that the two people who were, who were religious in nature, the Pharisee, the Levite. By the way, if you were on your way to Jerusalem, you were on the way to go worship. It's the only reason you'd be going from Jericho to Jerusalem. And if you're going from Jerusalem to Jericho, you just finished worshiping, meaning you just got out of church. You just got that lesson. You just had your God moment. And here you see the need, but instead of meeting it, you avoid it. And you walk on the other side of the road. In church, one of the greatest sins that I think we will have to answer to is indifference. I mean, did, did the Pharisee and Levite really do something so terrible? They probably had things they were getting to. They might have had a wife and children. They might have had a job to get to. I mean, what happened? This guy needed some help, and they, you know, they, they saw he was alive maybe, and they decided, I'm just going to keep on going. Yes, it's terrible, but it, it's not like they were murderers. It's not like they were child molesters or killers or something like this. Yet they were indifferent. They chose to ignore the brokenness around them. And I want you to know what happened with our friends that were in our life group because they've become some of our dearest, closest friends. And they sat in our living room and bled out for weeks and weeks and weeks. Until the time finally came to get to the John 3.16 conversation. And me and Pastor Keith, who will be preaching next week, who used to play for the Orlando Magic, seven foot tall, we sat down, two of us had coffee with my friend, and we just shared the gospel. And I want you to hear something. He had never heard it. He just didn't know it. And the tears just started coming down his face because no one had really shared who Jesus was and why Jesus had died and why he should put his faith in Jesus Christ. And he got saved, born again, made a decision to follow Jesus, got baptized, and his wife did the same. And they worked their pain out. And I want you to hear me. The, the, the thing that we've got to love with is, yes, love with patience, love with kindness. But we have to be people who love with compassion. Compassion has to lead the charge. Not theology, not doctrine, not our petty life group lesson that somehow we've got to get through. We were in, I've got more life group stories to share with you all. You guys are really going to be encouraged to get into life group at the end of this message. Because in the middle of the same group of people, somebody raises their hand in the middle of the lesson and says, hey, I'm beginning to feel bad on the inside. My husband and I look at porn together 
And I'm beginning to feel like this isn't right. And I look at Amy and I'm like, well, I guess we'll just shut the life group lesson for tonight because I think we need to talk about this. Because God's doing something here. And I want you to know that I've never been in a situation where I knew what to say. And I've, as a full-time pastor, rarely feel like I know the exact right thing to do in any given moment. But I know this. I know that God has asked me to love with compassion. And he's also asked me to love fearlessly. And whether I know the right thing or the right answer or what to do in a given situation, God, I'm going to trust you. Because, church, we are too afraid to have conversations with people, to talk to those who don't look like us, who are messy. But I'm telling you, when Jesus said, I have called you to follow me and I am making you fishers of men, there is an expectation that your life and my life might look a little strange because you're throwing out the hook from time to time to time to time after time again to try to net other people with what God has done in your life. That's what we get to do. It's not what you have to do. We get to do it. Well, my dear friends, Frank, same life group. Big Italian brother. Sitting on, we had this giant green couch that we got from, I can't remember. It doesn't matter. <laughs> He's sitting on the corner with his girlfriend. I don't even know how they got invited. They showed up. And we're talking about just, we're talking about dumb things week after week. Things that don't really matter. And then he and his girlfriend start talking, and his girlfriend starts talking about her husband, who is not the guy sitting on the couch with her. <laughs> and we're sitting there, and we just begin to talk. And their life just begins to open up. And I want you to know for every person that I have shared faith with, that has come to know Jesus, there are hundreds, if not thousands of people who never have. See, sometimes we think that the pastors are, are like professionals at this. Well, I'm not. Not any more than you. Some of you are probably better at this than I am. But here's what I know. I know that our lives have to be lived in such a way that we can love with compassion, that we can love with a fearlessness. 
and that we can love with great sacrifice. And we just began to open our home week after week after week. And there were times when we did not want to. There were times where we were tired. There were times where we didn't even have money for the dang life group snack. Yet there were people who would come who did not know Jesus. And they were there. Guys who were having affairs with other people's married wives. People who were addicted to porn. People who were in abusive marriages. And I want you to know that I didn't naturally want to minister to the mess. I didn't naturally have the courage to step into it. I didn't want to sacrifice my home and my apartment and my time week after week for those who didn't know Jesus, but there was something inside of me that reminded me I am not the same person anymore. I have been changed from the inside out, and this might look strange to the world, but this is what I do. This is what I get to do. God, would you help me? I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know what to say. I'm afraid. I'm selfish. But I know this person needs to know you. Would you help me to do this? Because there are people who don't know Jesus. And Jesus himself says it. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. And no one comes to the Father without coming to Jesus. But how will they know about Jesus if you and I don't tell them? And I am delighted to tell you all three of those stories. remember it so vividly our apartment complex had this pool or it was a person's pool I can't even remember what pool it was all of these people getting baptized forever changed marriages forever changed lives transformed and they're some of our best friends today Church, we must pick up the mantle. I don't care that we're in the Bible Belt. I don't care that we're in the most biblically literate city in America. I don't care. People need to know who Jesus is. And so what we get to do is we get to love first with compassion. We get to love with courage, fearlessly. We get to love sacrificially. And you will have 10,000 moments with people that do not matter. 10,000 moments that don't matter with people to finally earn the right for 10 minutes that do. And that's how we love well. 
We sit around and we laugh about the ace of spades and burritos and shoes and we laugh about stranger things and the greatest movie you just saw and you build relationships and you love one another and you wait for the door and you pray for the door to open and when it does, you walk through it. You love with compassion. You love fearlessly. And you love sacrificially. Father, we thank you. God, that you would help us to be men and women who share about what you have done for us. God, would you help our stories become stories that we can share, stories that we can tell. God, if we don't have relationships with people that don't know you, Lord, we're praying for relationships with people that don't know you, that we might have the opportunity to talk about your son, Jesus. Lord, we love you. If you're sitting here this morning, and you're saying to yourself, man, that's me. I'm the guy that's on the couch. I'm the person who doesn't know up from down. I don't know who Jesus is, but I need to. I need to know his saving power, and I'd like to put my faith in him this morning. If you're sitting here today, and you would like to make the decision to follow Jesus as Lord and Savior, raise your hand with me. Don't be shy, and let's pray together this morning. Right where you are, say, Jesus, I thank you that you are my king. This morning, I am putting my faith in you, and I choose to follow you all the days of my life. Lord, I turn from anything that doesn't honor you, and I turn instead to you. Let my life be a life of worship to you. Stand to your feet, church. We serve a good God. We serve a great God. We serve a merciful God. A God who knows your every need. Not a God who's somehow angry because you're uncomfortable or scared or nervous to share your faith. No, he's a God who is encouraging you, who's inspiring you who's breathing life to you. He's a God that's holding your hand. Who's saying you can do it? That's the kind of God that we serve. Let's honor him today. Let's have the 10,000 moments with people to earn the 10 minutes, the 20 minutes, the 30 minutes that just might change their life.